Well, it's good to be with you tonight. For those of you who are expecting Pastor Brett, sorry. <laughs> but my hope and prayer is that uh, the Lord will speak to us. I, I, uh, Pastor Brett is back. He, he was away at a pastor's conference for the last uh, three days. And he's back, but he's um, not with us tonight because he's uh, actually speaking to the youth tonight. And uh, that's a great blessing for them, I know. And my hope and prayer is that that will bear much fruit, even as our study here this evening will bear fruit. Um, I do want to make you aware of a couple things. First and foremost, those of you who have uh, uh, answered the call to give to this effort for Papua New Guinea, um, those of you who know what I'm talking about, this is the solar radio project uh, that... uh, or it's not really a radio, it's a, it's a recording device that, that has MP3 files on it, the gospel in the native tongue of, of many in Papua New Guinea. Our desire as a church is to be able to raise enough money to send um, a thousand of those into the mission field. And um, some of you have generously given a check. Uh, we perhaps weren't specific enough, however, um, you're not to write the check to PNG. You're supposed to write it to Calvary Chapel Surprise and note in the memo box PNG. Does that make sense? How many of you are still check writers? Okay, a few of us. All right. Some, uh, apparently that wasn't communicated well enough. So if, if you wrote a check to PNG, I encourage you, contact the church office. We want to process that correctly, but I don't think the country of Papua New Guinea will cash your check, all right? So um, if you could uh, make that correction, that would be great. Also, uh, we want to be in prayer, continue to be in prayer for um, John Rumble and his wife Debbie as they are traveling uh, on our behalf. Uh, they've been to the Philippines and encouraged uh, Katie Smith there, and they've also, John also was asked to uh, teach at a, uh, a church conference on the weekend there. Um, they are on their way now finally to, to India, per- perhaps maybe in India now uh, by this time and um, seeking to visit with Venkana, who is, uh, if you were here on the weekend, you know this, but if you weren't, I want you to know um, our, one of our elders, Jeff Talbot, uh, and his wife, Patty, have been supporting a young man there through Compassion Ministries for many, many years. He has, he has risen up and uh, has started his own ministry to orphans uh, in, the, in his area, has a group of um, well over 200, perhaps cl- approaching 300 orphans that he is reaching in, in various groups. And um, uh, we want to support him as a church. Many of you who have been connected to Compassion Ministries know that Compassion has actually had to shut down their operations in India because of the restrictions that the Indian government has put in place. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that the Lord is raising up nationals to, to pick up that ministry and carry it forward. And um, our prayer is that uh, what Venkana is doing will truly um, take root and blossom and flourish there. So um, 
if you would, let's pray for John and Debbie and, and Vincana as well. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to lift our brother and sister to you. Um, thank you that John and Debbie can travel like this on our behalf to, to minister to those who are ministering in other parts of the world in this way. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've provided safety for them thus far, and we pray that you will continue to do so. We also would lift up the ministries there in India in particular, Lord, as uh, we know that um, from what we've understood, the Indian government has placed restrictions on the ability uh, for uh, international ministries to do their work in India. And so we pray, Lord, that, that in your, in your uh, perfect timing and great favor, uh, ministries like that of Venkana will, will flourish um, at the hands of your spirit working through nationals there, Lord. We pray that your, your ministry would go f continue to make progress there and that many would come to know Jesus as their Savior, their blessed hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's interesting to me that we, uh, we uh, sang these last two songs um, that have to do with, with the idea of following Jesus, but more than following him, being intimate with him, being connected to him as a part of his family. Um, uh, I'd like to take us to Genesis, way back to the beginning tonight. And if you will, if you will indulge me, I'd like to, to just do a kind of a, a, a flyover fast view of, yes, the entire book of Genesis for the purpose of helping us understand our connection to it. Um, It's interesting as we as we look through the uh, through the book of Genesis, uh, it is it is possible for us to simply see this as the story of God's creation, the development of of uh, the peoples of the earth, the failures therein, and then God calling uh, uh, His own people out, and um, and just view it as history. And I think. Quite honestly, that is not inappropriate because it is indeed history. Um, if you've ever been to the land of Israel, you can see the very distinct historical markers that we, that we see noted even in the book of Genesis. Um, this is history, but it's more than that. This is a statement of God's great intention, God's great plan unfolding even from the very beginning of time. And um, I'd like for us to start in Genesis. We, uh, we start uh, at the beginning in chapter one, we see the creation. And then in, ver in chapter two, verse 15 through 17, we see the first commandment that God gave any of his creation. It's kind of interesting to me that um, God created the earth 
and it functions the way that it's supposed to. He didn't have to command it to. He just created it that way. And light is light and dark is dark and plants grow and oceans move by the tides and the stars move in their places, all because God simply created them in that fashion. But here in chapter two, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, or in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. It's interesting that this first commandment that the Lord gave to anyone has first a positive. You may eat of any tree in the garden except this one. I think most of us tend to look at... Uh, these, this, even this section, and we think first and foremost of the fact that God limited this freedom. Are you with me on that? Do you go there quickly? You may eat of any tree in the garden except this one. Well, what about this one? Why can't I eat of that? God, I, surely I, I should, if my freedom's really freedom, I should be able to do that, right? It's interesting to me that, that that's just kind of how humanity is wired. And, and, uh, but God starts this relationship with humanity, first and foremost, with a you may, with great freedom, you may experience all the goodness of God. And then he, he adds this, this caution, this one exception, you shall not eat of the tree of good, of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Let's go to verse, or chapter four, verse seven. I told you we're going to skip fast through this. Chapter four, verse seven. Here we see the story of Cain and Abel. Um, these are the children of who? Adam and Eve, right? They are the first family. And uh, here we see this relationship between Cain and Abel. And here we, again, we see this positive. Uh, if you do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? This is God speaking to Cain. And Cain was, was apparently downcast for some reason. And, and, well, let's go back to verse 6. The Lord said to, to Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Wow, okay, that's a good reason to do well. Because your countenance will be lifted up. But then he goes on, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at the door. That's the caution here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Here we see, um, here we see the, the uh, story of just how the generations continued and degradation started to happen. And we have one righteous man on the face of the earth. His name is 
Noah, right. And here we see chapter six, verse 13 and 14, another command. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because, I, because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and, and cover it inside and out with pitch. He, and he goes on in verse 15 and 16 to, to talk about the, the, the very specifics of this big boat we call an ark. And this place of salvation for Noah and his family. It's interesting, just a side note, this word pitch there in, in verse 14, kafar is the, is, the, is the Hebrew word. And it is related to the idea of atonement or covering. I think that's very cool that in, even here we see the provision of the Lord's covering his atoning work for us. Now, look at verse 22. We're going to begin to see a pattern here. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. That was Noah's response to this command. God said, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. We begin to see the relationship of the commandment and obedience. And we soon see the reward. We soon see the reward that God spared Noah and his family from the destruction of the flood. Um, chapter 9, we see, beginning in verse 1, chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's another command, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish and the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that you that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh that with its life that is its blood. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So we see here again a command of a great freedom, great freedom, but one caution, one thing you shall not do. And here we begin to see as well in the following verses, moral law being, beginning to be spelled out. Let's start in verse 5. And surely I will require your life blood from every beast. I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require it of the life of the man, of, of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man's, his blood shall be shed. For the image of God, for in the image of God, he is made. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. We see this, this, again, this great freedom, this one caution, 
And then it, uh, it, we call this a sandwich, if you will, that you, you sandwich the negative with two positives. How many of you have done that in a, in a conversation with somebody? You, you compliment them first, and then you say, uh, but I, I have this one thing I'd like to share with you that may come across as a negative, and then you compliment them on the back end. And this, well, not on the back end. That was the wrong move, wasn't it? Um, you compliment them again. And here we see God even doing that, don't we? He's saying, here you have this great freedom, this caution in the middle, and then again, a reiteration of this great freedom. Um, verse 9 through 11, we see the first covenant made. Now, behold, I myself, that is God speaking, do establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. And I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God's first covenant with humanity. Now, it's interesting to me that this is really the Lord calls it a covenant, but it's, if you look at it, it's really one-sided, isn't it? It's God making a promise. He doesn't even include an if in the statement, does he? Typically, when we think of a covenant, we think of an agreement. I'll do this for you, and you do this for me. And that will be our covenant together. And if either one of us backs out on that, the covenant's broken. We have that in, in many situations. How many of you have a mortgage? Okay. In your mortgage, you could call that a covenant. You agree to pay the bank back monthly for the money that they loan you so that you can buy your house. There's, it's, a, it's a mutual agreement. But here we see God establishing a covenant based solely on his promise with no real requirement from the earth and all that is in it. God's promise, verse 17, is reiterated. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of, of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. We know the sign of that covenant is a rainbow, right? Yeah, and that rainbow appears typically after a rainstorm, right? Yeah, and, and it's a constant reminder. This is God's faithfulness at work. Let's go on. Genesis 11. We see the story of the Tower of Babel here. The people... Uh, multiplied in the earth, and they uh, began to uh, have great visions of grandeur for themselves. Uh, chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, and they, and they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and the tower whose, whose top will reach into the heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This is the beginning, quite honestly, 
of Babylon. Babylon is started here. And um, take note that, that this is all about build for ourselves. Build for ourselves. Going on, verse 26 to 30. Oh, well, you know the story of, of the Tower of Babel, right? God, God tore it down and confused their languages, and they, scattered, they ended up scattering all over the earth, just the thing they were, quote-unquote, afraid of. They, they ended up being scattered throughout the earth. Then, then, and we are introduced then to Terah in verse 26. Terah is the father of a very important person uh, in in all of the Bible, can you tell me his name? Abram, right. Abram later became Abraham. And so Terah is his father. And so 26 through 30, we see um, uh, this, this relationship uh, beginning to bud here with this, this person called Abram. Um, chapter 12, we see another covenant starting to, to emerge here. Now the Lord said, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, do you notice any, any piece in this covenant here that, that um, requires anything of Abram? This is God's provision, isn't it? It's simply God giving to, to Abram. Um, We'll, we'll see this, this particular covenant gaining in maturity in the next several chapters. Um, now, verse 4 is Abram's response to God's promise. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. He simply obeyed. He simply followed through. Uh, Genesis 13, let's go to verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you will see I will give to you and to your descendants, how long? Forever. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Again, after Lot chooses the Valley of Sodom. Um, if we're familiar with that story, uh, you can, I'd encourage you to go, if you're not familiar with the story, go fill in all these blanks because there's a lot of them that we're jumping over. But, but Abram gives Lot his choice of where, where he wants to, where he wants to uh, plant his, his, his crew, if you will. And he chooses the green valley of, of Sodom. And, and this, this promise happens after that. 
Now, let's go to chapter 15 of Genesis. Chapter 15. This is um, God's promise of a son to Abram. Verse, verse 6. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it, reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Now, this is speaking of um, this, this, this inheritance that God is desiring to give Abram. Verse uh, 9 through 18. Let's read that together. And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun had gone down into a, a down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell on him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation for whom they serve, or whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions." And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. That is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And it is, uh, it is all packaged together. Um, it is God's certification of his promise. This particular moment here in history is God's certification of his promise to Abram. Now let's go on. Chapter 16, we have the story, story of Sarai and Hagar. Uh, who is Sarai? Abram's wife, right? And Hagar is Sarai's handmaiden. And what do we know about Sarai? She is unable to give birth. She is barren, right? And so she says to Abe, she says, Abe, why don't you sleep with Hagar? Um, and so that we can have a son, because after all, if we're going to have descendants, we got to have, we got to figure this out. And so, so what does Abe do? He listens to his wife. Is that what all good husbands do? <laughs> That's just an open-ended question right there. Anyway, Ishmael is the product of that, of that relationship. Then chapter 17, we have this covenant reiterated. Uh, verse 1, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, 
I am God Almighty. If you're wondering what that name in Hebrew is, it's El Shaddai. It's the, it is the provision of God. El Shaddai is the, um, actually the breasted one, the one who nurtures. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Exceedingly. Now here we see this covenant beginning to take on some new dimensions, don't we? It is actually beginning to include God's expectation of Abram. Abram Uh, The Lord says, walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between you and me. That is that is the beginning of this this uh, this relationship, if you will, of of mutual giving uh, in the scripture. It's unique in that in that up till now, it's all been God generated, not expecting anything in particular from from those he makes those that made that covenant with Um, verses two through eight. We see God's promise. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multiple, a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Your name shall be Abraham, and I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. This is God's God's promise to Abraham, so much so that it gives Abraham a new identity. Verse six, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations of you and kings shall come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I love that last phrase, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possessions. And I will be their God. Verses nine through 11, we see the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant is circumcision. And it's interesting to me, circumcision at Abram's age or Abraham's age is no small thing. At 99 years old, right? He is, he is not hesitant. Or at least the scripture doesn't include that, that if he is. Rather, in verse verse 26, take a look at this. Verse 26 of chapter 17. And all the men of his household who were born, excuse me, in the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Every single one on that same day. We see Abraham responding to God's promise in simple And may I say dramatic obedience? 
He obeyed. Genesis 18, we see the birth of Isaac promised. And um, birth of Isaac is a big deal because Abraham's old and so is Sarah, soon to be Sarah, his wife. Um, Isaac is promised. Chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed and Lot flees. And then in chapter 20, Abraham, this faithful man, Abraham, who responds to God's promise in simple obedience, somehow, somehow decides that he needs to take things into his own hands. Chapter 20, Abraham's treachery. He will tell Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. So Abimelech actually brings him into his, brings her into his harem. And, uh, uh uh-oh, there's trouble in the camp suddenly. I wonder, do you think Abraham forgot God's promise? It's hard, it's hard to ascertain, quite honestly, We see Abraham as this big hero of faith, and yet we see his feet of clay here. We're going to skip on forward to chapter 21, and we see Isaac is born. The fulfillment of God's promise. Isaac is born. Chapter 22, Isaac is taken to this place by Abraham, his father, At the command of God in verse 2 of 20, chapter 22. And he said, that is, God said to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. That's pretty big. But notice Abraham's response, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. He simply obeyed. God spoke and he obeyed. Verse 7, and Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. We see this dramatic experience take place. Verse 15, um, uh, Abraham is ready to, he's raised the knife. He's ready to perform the deed. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of, of the seashore. And your seed shall possess 
the gate of their enemies and your seed shall and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice because you have obeyed my voice we're not going to get to the end of, Je- of genesis i'm um, i'm going to end with that the point of this tonight is this this history that we've just gone through is our history. We are part of this great heritage of faith. And the truth that we, the truth that we've been confronted with as recently as this last weekend is that God's plan set forth cannot fail. God's plan cannot fail. His plan includes this creation of his people. And we are part of his people. And the people of the community of surprise, God wants to be part of his people. And this big, from the very beginning Moving through all of Genesis, and I, I'm sorry, we, I, I thought we could get through the end of the book. But as you, as you look through the rest of the book, you see this marvelous story taking place. And we, we, we end up with, with, um, with Abraham having son, a son, Isaac, who has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And they become great nations in and of themselves and Jacob and his 12 sons become what we know as the nation of Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And this nation is brought forth and they are enslaved in Egypt and then they are, they are freed from, from Egypt. And God's plan is at work in all of that. At the end of the book, at the end of Genesis, we see this statement given by Joseph, what, God, what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. As if to say, you guys tried to derail this thing that God is doing, and God would not let it be derailed. Period. It's because it's God's plan. And what is our, what is our response to that? I would suggest to you tonight that our, the only fitting response that we could and should give to the Lord is simple obedience. Simple obedience. So how does that translate into now? I know that God is speaking. He is speaking to each one of us. He's speaking perhaps different things, different nuances to each one of us. But he is speaking, and the question is, will we say, yes, Lord, I will? Or will we say later? Or will we say, is that really you, God? What happens if it's not God? Have you thought about that? You got this harebrained idea in your head, and you think, well, maybe this is the Lord calling me to to reach out and be doing this. 
What if it, but what if it's not God? What if it's just me? You know what? God's plan isn't going to be derailed if it's your harebrained idea. He is going to be honored by the fact that you would step out in faith, even if it is your harebrained idea, believing that it's his voice. And the next time, you're going to understand his voice more clearly. Perhaps this is a roundabout way to get to this point tonight. But I want us to understand that what we are a part of here at this church, here at this, this little body of believers in Surprise, Arizona, is part of God's, God's great history. Part of God's great intention throughout history. And we can't mess it up. We can't mess up his plan. Now, we can drag our feet. We can certainly do that. But as Brett mentioned on the weekend, if it's God's plan, it won't, it's not going to fail. So I want to encourage you tonight. Step out and simply obey. Let your, let your response to the Lord be, here I am, Lord. Direct me. Do in me, do through me, do what with what you want to with me. Here I am. And you can be certain that his intention will be accomplished. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that your, <laughs> your plan, your plan is perfect. It's big and beyond our understanding, but it includes us. And it includes those that we come in contact with. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, you would make your, your great intention for, for us, no matter how small we think we are. We pray that you would make your good intention for us known to us so that we can walk in it. And thank you that we do not need to fear walking in faith. Lord, I'm reminded of, of the Apostle Peter, who stepped out of the boat in faith and walked on water. We all know that he also took his eyes off of you and began to sink. And your response was not, was not, harsh, but rather tender. Your little faith, or why'd you doubt? Lord, we want to be those, even if we have little faith, we want to step out so that our faith can grow. We thank you that your safety net is large enough for us. And even for those yet to be brought in to your kingdom, to be a part of your people, to bear your name and your, your mark on their lives. 
Thank you for this time together, Lord. We pray that you would take what's been said here and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you on the weekend.